You're listening to a Soulfire Productions podcast. Welcome to Wellness Realness, where we get very real about all things health and wellness, physical, mental, financial, and spiritual. I'm your host, Christina Rice, a nutritional therapy practitioner and energy healer turned holistic business coach for ambitious entrepreneurs. And I'm here to help you up-level every aspect of your life. Remember my disclaimer, the information in this podcast is general health and nutrition advice and not a replacement for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. You can find an endless amount of content from me and join my online membership at christinaricewellness.com. And if you want exclusive behind-the-scenes content and my most unfiltered self, DM a screenshot of your iTunes rating and review to Wellness Realness Crew on Instagram and request to follow my super secret account. You can also join the Wellness Realness Podcast Tribe Facebook group to hang out with other listeners in the crew. Get ready for some wellness realness. Today's guest is my friend, Danielle De La Valle. She is such an incredible woman. We know each other through the NTA. That's actually how I first heard about her. I saw her speak at the NTA conference. The first time I went to the NTA conference and we have mutual friends and then got connected through similar circles and she's just incredible. I'm really excited for you to hear today's episode. She is the founder and CEO of Your Wellness Academy. I am obsessed with this. It's only $9 a month and you get a monthly subscription to a ton of courses about all things related to health. There are over 65 courses on this platform, so it's really incredible. She is also the creator of the Sacred Feminine Academy, and she is the author of the book Happy Weight and hosts the Volvo Magic Podcast. Danielle has such a cool story, and I think it's so amazing to see someone's journey and how much they shift and change and grow. And for her living in different countries and spending years in private practice as an NTP after working in a keto clinic and then writing her book and then diving deeper into her spirituality. And now she is in training to become a death doula and is a death advocate. And this was something I really wanted to talk about on the show because it's a topic I haven't covered before. And we talked a bit about this when we saw each other in Portland. Oh man, when was that? March. And I just thought it was so interesting. And it really uh, turned some wheels for me (laughs) when we were having that conversation then. And I really wanted her to touch on the topic of death, death advocacy, what a death doula does. I think it's a really important conversation and something that not a lot of people think about. So I am really excited for you to learn about all the things from Danielle. She's on Instagram at Danielle De La Valley and her website is DanielleDeLaValley.com. Check the show notes for her links and the podcast title for the spelling of her name so you can connect further with her there and find her offerings on her website. I also just want to remind you that doors are currently open for the up-level monthly membership. Doors will be closing August 17th, 2020, so make sure you get in before doors close. It's a monthly membership, so you can cancel anytime, but this is truly the ultimate wellness membership that will help you dive into all things intuition and spirituality And I've added some amazing new things into the membership that I'm so excited about. So you get the monthly live Q&A calls with me and the other incredible women in the group, as well as monthly manifestation parties or activation ceremonies, whatever 
we feel called to, exclusive access to online course content and specialty pricing for new offerings I have coming very soon, as well as an exclusive video library of never before seen video trainings, hundreds of hours of video trainings in there, hundreds of exclusive blog posts, and my new favorite edition, my hashtag unfiltered series where I put diary posts, channeled messages, all of the juicy intuition stuff is in there. But the best part of all is the community of incredible high vibe women. We have our group forum, but we also get to connect further with each other on the live calls. So if you love all things wellness and you are looking to improve your health, but also really dive into all things intuition and manifestation and raise your frequency so you can tap into your intuitive gifts further, then this membership is for you. Again, Doors are going to close August 17th, so sign up now. Again, you can cancel at any time. It's a monthly membership, and you can find all information at christinaricewellness.com slash membership. And speaking of all things woo-woo, you are going to love this conversation with Danielle, so enjoy. I'm not going to lie. I'm a little upset about how many pairs of blue light blocking glasses I bought before I found the real deal. But I think it was all for a purpose because I eventually ditched all of my orange glasses that weren't actually giving me the benefits and found the best ones out there on the market, which are blue blocks. I am obsessed with my blue blocks, blue blockers. I have multiple pairs of the nighttime glasses, which are the Sleep Plus lenses. These are a red lens that block 100% of the blue and green light needed to improve your sleep, reduce your anxiety, calm you down, and help balance out your hormones. And for daytime, I use the blue light clear lens, which block the necessary portion of blue light so you can avoid migraines, headaches, macular degeneration, and digital eye strain from being on your screens all day. The other option for daytime lenses is their Summer Glow Yellow Lens, which is blue light blocking meets color therapy. So the yellow lens will help people who also struggle with seasonal depression and or anxiety and who also want the benefits of blue blockers for daytime. And let me tell you, as somebody whose job is mostly on screens, whether it's my computer or my phone, I need to be wearing these glasses. Otherwise, I get horrible headaches. My eyes hurt. I feel so emotionally drained. I am really crabby and I don't sleep well. And I know most of us are on screens after the time when we are supposed to be. So as soon as the sun goes down, put on your pair of Sleep Plus red lenses and you'll notice a huge difference in the quality of your sleep, how you feel the next day, your energy, your productivity. It seriously affects everything, even your hunger levels. High quality blue blockers are a must have if you are serious about supporting your health and optimizing your productivity and efficiency. And blue blocks are the only pair I would recommend. They have a huge selection of frames to choose from, about 20, so you have plenty of options. My favorites are the Parker lenses. And you can also send in your own frames if you want to make those into blue blockers. And they have a custom made prescription service as well. Plus, for every pair of glasses they sell, they donate a pair of reading glasses to Restoring Vision, who gives them to someone in need, so it's a really great way to give back. If you haven't already gotten your hands on a pair of blue blocks, then now is the time. 
hop on over to blueblocks.com. That's B-L-U-B-L-O-X.com. And you can use my code wellness, W-E-L-L-N-E-S-S for 15% off. Again, that's blueblocks.com, B-L-U-B-L-O-X.com. And use my code wellness, W-E-L-L-N-E-S-S for 15% off. And the next time you're wearing your blue blocks glasses, take a selfie and tag me on Instagram so I can see what pair you got. Danielle, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. I am so, so excited to be chatting with you. And to start off, can you just tell my listeners a little bit about you and what you do in case they are not familiar with you yet? Yes. Well, thanks for having me. This is so fun. And I feel like we could talk for a million years. But yeah, so I'm Danielle Delavalle. I am many things. There were many hats. I guess recently someone called me a Renaissance woman. I was like, <laughs> hey, I love that. I love that. It's true. <laughs> that's how you can describe it. Um, I more or less started, you know, in the wellness industry as a functional nutritional therapy practitioner and then kind of cascaded into being an advocate for so many different things, body positivity, death normalization, you know, talking about sexuality period normalization, you know, kind of got into all of the aspects that I believe to be true about wellness and um, started as an author and educator, you know, done the public speaking route, which is actually overly exhausting. And I never want to go back to that again, but um, ended up just fully transitioning into being an online educator. And so now I run the um, Sacred Feminine Academy and your wellness academy. So what I do. Love it. Woman of, of many talents and so much to dive into. And, you know, the first time I like came in contact with your presence was at the NTA conference, um, a couple of years ago when you were giving, giving a talk and, um, you know, that led me to your book, happy weight. And I was like, wow, she's super cool. Um, but then I was like following you and then I, I don't even know when this came up, but you like posted a photo of like your period blood like all over your hands I think um and I was like holy shit damn this woman is interesting I was like I'm so here for this it was like I felt like at the NTA conference it was like just very like put together like you know like what you should say and then I I see you with your period blood and I'm like okay here she is now right um and I think it's really interesting it, it was really cool for me to see you kind of like how you've shifted and grown and changed over, over the last couple of years, you know, um, and like really coming into like who you are and just being like, I don't give a fuck. This is what I think who I am. Um, and that is really, really magnetic and inspiring. And I, I kind of want to take it back to happy weight. And I, I'm actually curious, maybe you can tell people like wh- what that's about, what, what inspired you and kind of how you feel about that whole portion of your life now. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so much for the the accolades. I really appreciate that. I'm receiving it positively. And, you know, it's funny because when you start in the wellness industry, you're just kind of equating yourself to the vibe around you. Mm-hmm. And I've always like, if you ask my very close personal friends, um, they even used to nickname me in my early twenties, the line crosser, because I just don't care. I'm that person <laughs> that's like, I want to live in a world where everything is normalized. And so I was trying to fit into what I thought was the right thing to do. And so when you saw me speaking, it was more of my polished professionalism, right? Which is something that I 
have wholeheartedly shed off of myself and am no longer trying to strive for because I feel like so many people try to put themselves in boxes every day. And so Happy Weight was after I had worked, I worked in a ketogenic medical weight loss clinic as a principal nutritionist for almost two years. And that was the first unveiling of me seeing like the truth of the, you know, the diet industry and just more or less, you know, societal conditioning for women, you know, and how we're pit against each other. And we're supposed to think our worth is a size or a number, you know, and all of these things. And so it became a manifesto of me being able to tell women to love themselves no matter what and try to nourish themselves in a way that made them feel like they actually mattered. And so it was a really good stepping stone for me to really just be like, I'm just going to put myself out there. And it got a lot of negative feedback. There were people even at that conference, you know, talking shit about me saying like, you know, body positivity has no, you know, no place in the wellness industry. And, you know, because these are a lot of people that are very indoctrinated in believing that, you know, wellness is X, Y, and Z, and it's a formula and blah, blah, blah. So I kind of, you know, was able to put that out into the world. And then, of course, did the whole thing of the podcast circuits and, you know, the public speaking. And, but then I started to become branded this person that was like, oh, it's Danielle. She's the body positive person. And I was like, no, I'm not one thing, you know, and it started to frustrate me. And people were like, oh, you should make a happy weight program, you know, all this stuff. And I was like, I don't ever want to be labeled one thing that doesn't feel inherently good to me. So I kind of just put it, you know, it's still out there in the world. People are still buying it. They're still loving it. They're still finding themselves. It's a beautiful stepping stone for people that are just starting their journey. But it's kind of in my rear view now, you know, Mm it's something that I was, I'm always going to be proud of, you know, feel I'm glad that I did it. But the next time I write a book, it's going to be grossly different, (laughs) you Mm -hmm. know, in terms of expanding what I believe to be true about wellness today. Yeah. Yeah. No, I love that. And I think kind of what was coming to my mind is just the idea of like being branded something and labels. And what's been interesting to me is I think a lot of people get very triggered by labels and branding, sometimes like too much so. And I have never had an issue with any type of label because I'm not afraid to like go outside of the label, right? It's like, okay, to bring it down to a really simple example, like paleo, right? Like people are like, oh, I would never label myself paleo. I'm like, I will. I don't give a fuck. And they're like, but then you can't eat rice. I'm like, why not? <laughs> like, So what? Right. And I think a lot of women, especially feel like they can't go, can't go outside of that. And I mean, to bring it back to business coaching, I was thinking about as you were talking how so many women are like, I don't want to niche down because I don't want to pigeonhole myself. And I'm like, it's not pigeonholing you. It's giving you clarity and a reference point. But guess what? You can be whoever the fuck you want to be, right? And you can talk about whatever the hell you want to talk about, right? But it's like a starting place. And I think something so magical about you is that you naturally are a line crosser, as you said. And for women listening who feel like I I don't feel like I can cross lines. I don't feel like you know, I I feel like it's not safe for me. It's not okay for me to go outside of the label, like feeling trapped in that. Um, What advice do you have for that woman? You know, to be honest, I feel like operating in your 
in your most authentic space is where all your creativity comes from. Mm-hmm. I feel like I have an endless source to tap. I mean, obviously connected to source, right? You know, when I'm when I'm able to connect with my guides and everything, but I feel like when I'm truly myself, I am the most creative I've ever felt and the most connected to my work. Like right now I'm spending 40 hours a week creating courses and I love it. You know, and that's the thing is like when you are you know, when you feel you and you're connected to you, you're magnetized to your work. And I think the reality is, is that if you feel like you should be crossing lines, then do it because Mm -hmm. that's going to bring you closer to the work that you're meant to be putting out into the world. And I think like to your point, you know, everyone is kind of like afraid to step outside of the label. They're also afraid to not be like everybody else. Mm -hmm. You know, and change is so terrifying for most people. But the reality is, is that what we've witnessed recently is the world is desperate for change right now. Oh, yeah, that's true. What were you were you this like this growing up too, like as a kid? No, I um, I was very timid child and I'm a middle child, very sensitive, you know, I'm an empath and a Libra. So I was just very the cuddly kid. and you know, did not have a path of communication at all. Not that it wasn't fostered. My mom is a badass, And, you know, all the women in my family are super powerful and outspoken. But for some reason, I just was kind of muted. And then when I went to Norway, my junior year of high school for a year, that's when I was just changed forever. Like, you know, I was in this household with these Viking women that like forced me out of my comfort zone. And was like ultimate shadow work for the first time. You know, they were like, made me change on a beach in public the second day there because they were like, you need to get over the fact that you're not comfortable in your body. Like nudity is beautiful and we should all be naked and proud. And it was just like, from then on, it was all of these different things, like normalizing everything. And Norwegian culture is just so beautiful in that way that nothing is ever off topic. So that was like my first year of like blowing my mind, you know? And then after that, I was just like, (laughs) let the animal out of the cage, you know? Yeah. Well, I can only imagine like coming back from that, how that was for you, like stepping back into the, into the U S and seeing how everything was like, I mean, (laughs) pretty wretched actually. Like, did some relationships dissolve? I'm very curious. Oh, like, it was just so hard for me to find my footing because Mm -hmm. I was just, I knew I was inherently different after that because all of a sudden, these things that I knew inside of me to be true as a child, I, I, I hated the Bible because I was just like the, what I was taught in church was so against what I thought was true that everyone deserved love, you know, all of these things. And, you know, so all of a sudden I was kind of given permission, you know, I'd lived with another family that gave me permission to believe the things I always knew to be true about the world. And so from then on, I was just like, I was just brazen with making sure that I could just basically fuck everything up any chance that I could to call people out or to, you know, have crazy situations happen. And I started protesting really young and advocating really young. And I moved to China when I was 21. And that was even more of like a me stepping into a new phase of my life. And so I've just kind of, I was always that person, but I needed someone to kind of like open the door for me. So I think that's important for a lot of people. Yeah. Isn't it interesting that 
we all just want permission. I mean, (laughs) that's kind of the theme of life. I feel like, um, like, yes, it's okay for you to do that. I'm curious. So what brought you to China and what was that experience like? Well, my dad was like, China is the future. You need to learn Mandarin because I was a polyglot. And so I, Spanish was my first language. And then I picked up Norwegian and then um, I did some Russian in college. And then my dad was like, okay, you need to learn Mandarin. Like this is mandatory. (laughs) And so I went to the Harvard of China, as they call it. I went to Tsinghua University in Beijing. And um, I I learned Mandarin, but I pretty much was, I was 21. And like the conversion rate was so awesome that all I did was party. (laughs) (laughs) And just had like the best time of my life. And the friends that I made there actually are my best friends to this day. And we all have a matching tattoo we got on my wedding night. So we're just like, yeah, it was like one of the greatest experiences of my life. China culture is like, oh, amazing. It's so amazing. Wait, what is your tattoo? So it's a big circle and a little circle. And because we call ourselves the inner circle. And so this is us is the big circle and everyone else is outside the little circle. I love that. We're bitches. We're a bunch of wanderluster kids from all different kinds of backgrounds. And, you know, we're just, I don't know. We're so obsessed with each other. It's ridiculous. So, no, that's amazing. Okay, so how does world traveler, like, don't give a fuck, Danielle, get from, go from that, living her best life in China and learning Mandarin, to ending up, like, being the nutritionist at a ketogenic facility? (laughs) Well, so the underlying factor was that my first and only career was in food. So I started working in the food and beverage industry at 15. And that was kind of like my safety because my parents are pretty huge foodies. My mom owned a restaurant in the 80s. And my parents are like, if they're going to be snobby about anything, even if they have no money in the bank, it's going to be about food. And so they raised me on food quality and you know, just nuance of your palate and flavor and everything. Food was love in my house. And so when it was time for me to kind of grow up, right? You know, I'm like 28 years old at the time and I was a professional cheesemonger and I kind of like reached this pinnacle in my career because being a cheesemonger is very like, it's amazing work and it's so gratifying, but you can never make more than like 20 bucks an hour. And so I was like, well, I need to do more with my life. And so I found the NTA and um, became an FNTP And it was like something unlocked inside of me where I was like, there's so much more to food than I had originally thought. And the keto clinic was just my first job. It was like the first place that would hire me. And it ended up being, um, you know, kind of like half positive, half, you know, negative. The positive was that I actually garnered an amazing amount of continuing education because that was mandatory. And so like, I was like a supplement Rolodex at the end of that and like knew so much about hormones and knew so much about metabolism and thyroid and everything. It was like, I was light years ahead of my graduating class. And so that was the positive, but I left on not so good terms because they started selling the HCG diet. Mm-hmm. That's where I drew the line. I was like, I'm, I'm not going to in good conscience sell something to women that is basically starving themselves. 
So yeah. I can't wrap my brain around the HCG, HCG diet because I, I go to so many different, like different wellness clinics all the time. And well, I guess not right now, but in general, um, and everybody offers this and I'm like, do people actually get this? Like I, and especially from places that otherwise seem to do really great work and have like a functional approach and like root cause. And I'm like, this just, it feels very incongruent. And it, I just can't wrap my brain around, like, how can you do that? <laughs> it, it's immoral, in my yeah. opinion. It's, it's completely immoral. And the women that had done it, they were coming in for the fifth, sixth, seventh time. Mm-hmm. And their thyroids were completely destroyed at that point. And they were suffering in so many other areas, you know, the, the type of medications that they were on or surgeries that they had had. And mm-hmm. they're really, I mean, just continuing the loop of yeah. destruction in terms of how women view their body. It, it's pretty terrible. So if you belong to a clinic that sells HCG, they do not have your best interests at heart. Yeah, God. I mean, yeah, it breaks my heart. And so after that, you left. Yeah. And then what was next? Next was private practice. And that was wonderful. I worked with so many different amazing clients on every end of the spectrum. And I was general practice. So I got to work with my local community. I got to teach classes and I really thrive in a one-on-one setting. It's really amazing. But as an empath um, who at the time had garbage boundaries, um, it was not healthy for me or conducive to continue in that way. So I um, tried to find a way that was going to be more impactful. So I did a lot of community education after that. And then I started, you know, I became an instructor and So it was just kind of a general transition. But um, during private practice was when I started to experiment with expanding outside of food and supplementation. And uh, that's because I was in a wellness center that was a metaphysical space. Mm -hmm. So it was, you know, they had Reiki, acupuncture, um, a lot of energy medicine. We would do very like divine feminine courses and you know, a lot of female empowerment. And that was really beautiful for me and was like the catalyst of me getting into energy medicine and healing myself. Um, because I hadn't, at the time working at the weight loss clinic, I was like, yeah, being like, you know, super skinny and working out five hours a day is great. And then, you know, then after that, you know, went into private practice and realized like, oh shit, I have a lot of healing I need to do. And, um, and then happy weight came after that. So. Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. And so um, I'm curious about your experience with the more metaphysical side of things and different types of energy healing. And what for you, what did you connect with most in that realm? Well, for me, I am I knew I was an energetic at a really young age, mm-hmm. but it was really like I grew up in a Catholic household. That's not something that's going to be received well, right? Yeah. Um, so I had studied a lot of kind of like beyond cultures like a lot of paganism when I was 13 and was always very drawn to it. But of course it was stunted by the people like that's the hard part is reinforcement is, is can be really damning when you're trying to move into a new space in your life. So having people in your life that negate the things you believe in, it's really good to be able to separate yourself. So this was the first time I could separate myself from family, from friends, from community, from anything because I had this very safe space to practice. And so my first Reiki session was, I mean, I was completely untethered. 
Like I, I was able to go to places I'd never been before in my body, my mind and my soul. Um, the things that we were able to unlock, it was just the first time I felt seen, heard, validated, you know, almost reparenting myself. Like it was just this whole process of unlearning and becoming. And it was so beautiful. And I started working with energy tools around the same time. Um, I've now graduated out of my Vogel tools, but I probably had like seven of them by the time I was done working with them. But that was also a huge catalyst for me because I didn't know I was a heart grounder because most people ground at their root. And that just wasn't something that uh, it just didn't apply to me. And so mm-hmm. when, when I found out I was a heart grounder, and that was the place I needed to protect and grow and heal the most. It was like this whole world opened up. So I, if people aren't doing energy medicine, they're not trying to achieve wellness because mm-hmm. it's just like, that is a whole factor that is completely necessary. Did you know that functional mushrooms can actually help you open up your intuition? Well, they can. So if you are interested in tapping into your intuition further and opening up your third eye, then you will definitely want to add some of Four Sigmatic's functional mushrooms into your daily rotation. There is a whole kingdom of mushrooms out there with so many amazing health benefits for immunity, energy, cognition, longevity, digestion, and more that have been studied for centuries. And we're talking about functional mushrooms like reishi, chaga, cordyceps, and lion's mane. But those functional mushrooms can be pretty bitter and not very easy to use and not always of the highest quality, which is why I love Four Sigmatic's mushroom coffees, mushroom superfood blends, and mushroom elixirs. They offer tins and single serve packets, which are super convenient for travel. I always have a huge bag of these anytime I go anywhere and in my purse at all times. And all you have to do is blend the product with a cup of hot water or nut milk or put it into a smoothie and you are good to go. You can also sprinkle the packets over food if you don't have any hot water available. And what I love about Four Sigmatic is that they test all of their products for pesticides, heavy metals, irradiation, mycotoxins, and other factors. So which mushroom elixir is right for you? Well, we have cordyceps, which is great for natural energy. If you are an athlete or going to the gym or looking for extra muscle recovery, then go for the cordyceps. This gives you a boost of natural energy without the crash of any caffeine. And then there is chaga, which is the ultimate immune booster. This is the first Four Sigmatic product I fell in love with and I drank every single day in college. And now I do too. This is also a great mushroom elixir to throw into your daily routine if you're looking to open up your third eye and tap further into your intuitive gifts. And then there's the lion's mane, which is amazing for enhancing cognition, supporting memory and concentration. So when I have a big work day ahead, this is my go-to. And the reishi mushroom elixir, which is incredible for supporting stress levels, modulating stress and supporting sleep. So I love to have a cup of reishi a couple hours before bed to help me wind down. They also have their mushroom hot cacao mix, which is my go-to when I want some healthy hot chocolate and their mushroom coffee mixes, which have only 50 milligrams of caffeine per serving. And whenever I have caffeine, this is what I go for because it tastes delicious. I get the health benefits of the functional mushrooms and I don't get the jitters like I do with other coffees. So if you want to check out any of these elixirs or 
any of Four Sigmatic's other products. I love their matcha, their golden latte, their protein powder, and their skincare. Then just hop on over to foursigmatic.com slash CRW and use my code CRW for 15% off. Again, that's foursigmatic.com, F-O-U-R-S-I-G-M-A-T-I-C.com slash CRW and use my code CRW for 15% off. And next time you drink a cup of your Four Sigmatic, make sure you tag me so I can see what you're sipping on. Let's talk more about being a heart grounder. So how did you find that out? And like, explain more about that for people who haven't heard of that before. Yeah, so we, they're the heart space and, and then also like the root space are the two grounding places that we can have. And the root space is going to be for people who are more kind of up in their heads a lot. You know, that's going to be like the the kind of like airy person who has a hard time, you know, grounding. But that was never an issue for me. I'm, I'm always feel comfortable no matter where I am. I'm always really, you know, kind of rooted and grounded no matter what. But I always, as an empath, I'm a clear sentient empath. So I can feel the thoughts and feelings and emotions and pain of another human being when I'm within their proximity. And so that's going to be typical of a heart grounder is somebody who has that ability to touch someone and you can feel them. And so the need to ground that space is going to be imperative for your growth. So for a heart grounder, you need boundaries in every way, shape or form. And boundaries are a practice and something that I'm still even to this day, like, finding little facets and nuances of things that need to be worked on. So when you're a heart grounder and you're a really strong HSP or empath, you really need to be able to detach yourself from other entities because your body is almost drawn to healing them or wanting to be a part of their process or wanting to, you know, support or love or, you know, help them unlearn. And that's the hard part is like, you do have this, you have this very significant task of service being born into the world as a heart grounder, but you also have to learn that you can't pour from an empty cup. And so that's going to be, you know, anyone who kind of garners themselves as an intuitive or an HSP, which is a highly sensitive person is most likely going to be a heart grounder. And so really having to kind of like, find ways to layer and heal that. Um, and it can be difficult. It can be lifelong. It can be absolutely lifelong because there can be childhood trauma, you know, that kind of locks itself in that space. And um, so it can take a long time. Yeah. And so tell, tell us more about the tools you used. Yeah. So Vogel crystals are this very specific type of jewelry that you can wear. Um, it is, it's this really insane, technology that binds science, religion, and the metaphysical space. And they're these very specific, it's just like any other crystal. You know, you find a really clean, very well put together crystal um, and you, and the way that it is cut is specifically in this technology. So they have these very specific cuts to them. And they can be triangular, they can be an angel aura, there can be all of these different types of cuts. And the tool chooses you. Mm-hmm. So that's the thing that's really nuts about it is you have to actually physically be in its space to be able to sit with it and for it to choose you. 
And so it's going to arrange every, every color of crystal, every, you know, and it's going to partake in every type of chakral energy that needs to be worked on at the time. And my first was a triangular shape and it was a green, uh, it was a green amethyst. And so it was really important for me to be able to have that too. It was kind of crazy, amazing. The first time I came in contact with one. I had this full physical reaction. I couldn't stop crying, you know, this full release. And I felt myself, like I felt collected. I felt nurtured. I felt protected. Um, Things were amplified. Colors were amplified. Sounds were amplified. It was just this very, very otherworldly experience. And um, there are very few places in the United States that are retailers for it, but if you're ever traveling to a city that has them, definitely go and experience it and see if you go home with one, see if one chooses you. But mm-hmm. they're they're pretty nuts. Like I said, I transitioned through seven of them and they were all different crystal colors, different chakras I was working on at different times. And it was so transformative and so necessary. That's that's amazing. Where did you get yours? So Vancouver, Washington is kind of this really weird place that like you kind of love and hate at the same time because there's this like really strong Wiccan and metaphysical like community here. Mm -hmm. Uh, But we have this place called Celestial Awakenings and it's just this like house on the side of the highway, but you go in there and it's like literally these crazy insane energetic like workers there and they have all of these different modalities and they do drum circles and healing circles and it's just like a crazy awesome place um which was definitely saving grace for me when i moved here because i wanted to live in portland but my husband you know was like mm-hmm. no i need to live and work in washington and i was like fine then i need to find my people <laughs> so yeah how did i how did i not know about this i wish i had gone there like the last couple of times i've been over there but next time i'll take you yeah next time next time okay that would be super fun so okay i love this people are going to be super super interested Um, I'm sure wheels are turning, but (laughs) so, so I, and I want to talk more about, so you're in training to become a death doula Mm -hmm. and we talked a little bit about this, um, when I saw you in Portland, um, was that most recent March? Whoa. Um, weird, crazy. And it's so interesting to me. I had never even heard of a death doula. Um, and you know, you are an advocate for death positivity which I mean, I'm, I'm super into this. And so I, I want you to explain, I mean, what does a death doula do and what does it mean to be an advocate for death positivity? Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, you know, when we're talking about wellness going beyond food and supplements and, you know, we're integrating energy medicine, people are talking about finances, they're Marie condoing their space. Like wellness is every aspect of your life. Mm-hmm. And so the one thing that, at least I think no one in the wellness industry is talking about is, is death. And I think the hard, one of the hardest parts about the wellness industry for me is that they're selling you more like immortality Mm -hmm. and that's not real. You know, it's, it's false hope. It's fake. It, it disallows people from their own experience. And it started with me because I've been around a lot of death. And I always like, didn't know why. And my dad used to joke, he used to call me the angel of death. And 
like not in a bad way though, more like souls are just comfortable in my presence and they're, you know, feel safe to pass on, you know, and, and those types of things. And I kind of started with coming out as a death witch. And that was a little shocking for people because already people think witches are like these evil black magic people. But I mean, most women are witches. Mm-hmm. Most women in the wellness industry are witches, they, whether or not they want to identify as such. Um, but a witch really is just like a passion to heal. Mm-hmm. And so a death witch is somebody who helps people go through the death process and communes with spirits and communes with souls. I've always been really connected to necromancy, even from a young age. And um, just one of those things, being able to just commune with death in general. So as I started to recognize that this was a necessary part of the conversation, I started to recognize, because as we're learning and growing new parts of of life and wellness, we have our own anxieties and healing that needs to happen. Mm -hmm. And for me, I had this, I had sleep issues. It was like the last tip of my wellness iceberg. My periods are amazing. My hormones are great. My mental, my behavioral issues are all gone. My digestion is healed. You know, all these things. I'm like, when my, my last tip was that I just couldn't sleep because I had this terrifying fear that I was going to be murdered in my sleep. And that was not a manifestation of reality. It was just like a fear, right? Mm-hmm. And so my husband, you know, bought me a gun that I keep under my bed. He was like, he put cameras up around the house. And it's not like I live in a place where I'm going to get murdered. Like I live in the middle of nowhere. People would even be like creeped out to come onto my property in the middle of the night. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, okay, I need to resolve this. Like this is a, this is a serious problem. So I started working on my death anxiety and I found out it was like a real thing. Like people Mm -hmm. do like death anxiety meditations and death anxiety, like hypnosis. And I started reading more about death. And the more I started to allow myself and give myself permission to get excited about death, which I had always kind of felt since childhood that I started to heal that part of myself. Mm-hmm. And then I, now I'm like, literally I sleep like the dead <laughs> and I started getting interested in death doula ship, um, which is very similar to being a birth doula. You know, you essentially just usher people out of the physical plane instead of into, and it's really beautiful. Death positivity is about having conversations that are necessary. You know, most often people, they don't have a living will. People don't even know how they want their after party to be. You know, people don't talk about where their stuff is going to go. You know, there's just, there's, there's, it's a non-conversation and that's not healthy. That's when we are completely like severing ourselves from our life and our reality and our wellness. Because once we're able, it's almost like brain dumping, you know, when you have a good brain dump, you feel like everything is outside of you and you can continue about your day. Well, once you, when you know about your last rights and when you know about your right to die and what it means to have a good death, then it's almost like you feel this reinvigorated, like lust for life. Mm -hmm. And so I just, I wouldn't say I became obsessed. I feel like I found something I'd always loved and just finally embraced it. Mm-hmm. And um, because my my dad had been taking us to cemeteries since a young age. And it's something that my husband and I do every time we're in another country. 
And so, you know, death has always been very mesmerizing for me. And, um, but now I'm able to embrace it in a way that's truly beautiful, you know, Mm -hmm. to be there for people, to support them, to love them, to advocate for them. Because I, I don't know if, you know, if anyone listening or even yourself has been there when someone has passed away, but advocacy is very necessary Mm -hmm. because everything happens so fast. You, you just don't even know, you know, the nurses don't know, the doctors don't know, you don't know, families don't know. And so there needs to be this neutral party that's there saying, Hey, family, pay attention to the person that's passing away Mm -hmm. and go off to the side, talking to the medical professionals, making sure everything is, is in alignment. And so being a death doula is really about being this, yeah, angel of death that kind of comes in and helps you, you know, to transition into the next life. Yeah, that's beautiful. I just connected so like some things personally. I feel like the universe is speaking to me through you. And this also was coming up for me around when you, because my ears perked up when you were first talking about this when we were in Portland. And I was like, oh, that's a thing. Because actually right before that, I had been mapping out a bunch of content and one of the podcasts I was mapping out was about my relationship with death. Um, and then I ended, I never published it because it was like when it was supposed to get published it was right around coronavirus. And I was like, this is just a shit show. I don't like, I can't do um, because I was reflecting a lot on like my relationship with death. And I had like, like I had debilitating anxiety that I know you can relate to. And like, I mean, growing up, I, I did not sleep because I was convinced somebody was going to murder me. Like mm-hmm. my parents, I, and I, I had, they bought me like, you know, a ladder to climb out of my house, like out of the house, like all this stuff. And like growing up, I mean, I literally was crowdfunding to buy a submarine, like to, to lock my, my parents were like, you're fucking crazy. And I'm like, I need, I need a submarine. It's the only way I can stay safe. Like I was so, I, I thought everybody was going to kill me. I was afraid to go out into the world. Um, and it wasn't until I, leaning like learning more about spirituality and connecting and really facing death from like like a physiological perspective like because of what I was going through physically and almost dying like forced me to lean into my spirituality and really think about like you know the purpose of life and like what is life like I'm human right but my soul and what happens after and like really working through all of that my anxiety it went away right and so it's really interesting and I, I think about now looking back like and I think this whole, the the coronavirus epidemic speaks a lot to people's relationships with death because mm-hmm. it's like people who are so afraid, like, and I, if I have this conversation with my boyfriend who's like really scared and I'm like, look, I'm going to die when I'm going to die and I'm not afraid to die because like, I'm, I'm excited for what's going to happen after. Right. But people who, who haven't explored that, I think there's, there is so much anxiety around it. And so, um, it is, it is very interesting because, and when I started tapping in a lot of um, people who hadn't crossed yet were coming visiting me mm-hmm. and, and I would go to cemeteries and I can tell you exactly like people's lives and how they died and their family and like where they're from. Um, and so hearing you explain that, I'm just like, holy shit, that's all connected. I think that's really amazing that you have that experience and that you get to be able to have that beautiful relationship with souls because a lot of people don't. And a lot of people that do are afraid to talk about it. Mm-hmm. Cause they think, Oh, that I'm crazy. I'm weird. No, you're not crazy and weird. Like, you know, it's a real thing. It happened. Yeah. And I think that's really beautiful that you have that relationship, um, with the other side. And the thing is, is like you said, when we reconcile with our death, 
everything else just kind of fades away. And we start to recognize like, this is, this is just a part of living. This is just a part of life. And it really is an amazing experience to be able to kind of remove yourself from, from your fear of death. And it can creep in sometimes because that's our brain, you know, biology is always trying to protect us and it's just a natural inclination. But you know, whoever's, you know, for anyone listening, like I invite you to the conversation and, you know, start to explore. And I, it's so funny because like you said, right when coronavirus hit, I actually amplified my posts about death and lost so many followers because people were like, I can't hear this right now. Like I'm Mm -hmm. so triggered. And I was like, you're going to die. Like this is going to happen to you. Like you better get on it. And I basically posted a bunch of books that I have in my library that, you know, are really beneficial for anyone who's starting out. And I think that's the thing is just educate yourself, like Mm -hmm. bring awareness into your life, educate yourself, stop thinking that cemeteries are creepy, stop thinking that death is bad. You know, as soon as we start to really decompartmentalize the conditioning that we've been given, we're able to recognize that like death can actually be very beautiful. And um, it's really a matter of like, you know, how are we approaching it? Yeah, I I think also just like going deeper into like why, just asking yourself why, why, why? Because like for me, I was just feeling it. Like I realized first, first block for me was like, what do I believe happens after, right? And then like working through that. And I I mean, I grew up very Catholic too, so I was you know shifting all my (laughs) all my paradigms there. and then I really realized what I, and I was like, well, if I actually have to pick what I'm afraid of, it's actually the pain, like dying in a painful way. And then realizing like all of the brain rewiring, like, you know, pain is just a neural signal. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, I'm just a soul in, in, in this body. Right. And like really figuring out like what I believe in terms of that and like what is real, what is not, what is reality, what is perception. It's all the same. Um, and then it's like, okay, well, then what else is there left to be afraid of? And so I'm not saying my answer is going to be the same as everybody else's, but I think just really asking why people, people are afraid of it um, and diving deeper, because I think there's just so much, like you're saying, there's just, nobody has this conversation and it's, it's really important. Like we only talk about death in this really melancholy way, mm-hmm. but I, I think also some of the fear around talking about death is because is connected with why so many people are out of touch like with their spirituality, with their intuition. And it's all, it's all one and the same. It's all wrapped up together. It really is. And like, I'm, I'm also proud of my family because I started being vocal about this. Um, Cause we had a very intense, like 10 years of like a lot of people dying in my family. And um, I was present for all of them because I think it's really important to be able to, to be there, you know, in, in someone's last moments. And I, you know, when I started to kind of like go through this process, I was very vocal. And now even my mom's coming to me with it. She's like, okay, this is where I want my ashes spread. And like, this is the party I want to have. And, you know, I still want to check in with your father because I don't want to assume he wants the same thing. But, you know, this, you know, and that's the thing is like, we're starting to have these conversations of, of importance, you know, Mm -hmm. and that's the thing is like, if you don't know what someone wants, when they pass away, mm-hmm. you're probably not going to do it right. You're, yeah. you're denying that person their personality. You know, like, I don't want people crying at my funeral. 
I want everyone just having like the time of their life and showing up and like almost like it's my wedding all over again, you know, just like good food and music and having a good time and like celebrating. Because even if I were to die tomorrow, I've lived a full life and I would be able to look down on myself and be like, yeah, I fucking did everything I possibly could to like really show up in this, in this life and in this world. And I think that's another lesson for people is like, are you afraid to die? Because you're not actually living your life. Mm-hmm. You know, may, are you letting so much hold you back from existing? Are you stuck in a relationship you don't want to be in? Are you stuck in a job you don't want to be in? Are you like stuck in all of these places? And that's the thing is like, people don't recognize that there's so much opportunity when they just accept the invitation and they step through the fear. And like you said, like fear is just a manifestation of the brain Mm -hmm. reacting to information. It's not, it's not real, you know, it's just, you know, what are you going to do to be able to move, move into a situation that makes you feel more connected? And it's really important also to recognize though, that not all marginalized groups get the right to die because unfortunately, you know, there are a lot of terrible ways that people are dying right now. And so that's a whole other part of my advocacy as well is elevating marginalized voices. So, you know, really talking about Black Lives Matter, talking about Trans Lives Matter, you know, talking about Queer Lives Matter, and just like really trying to elevate the fact that until we all can experience a good death, like, you know, there's no rest for the weary. Yeah, I think that's definitely... um a piece of the conversation that seems to be left out a lot. Um, and so maybe you can educate us some more around like, you know, how these marginalized groups and how that affects death. Absolutely. So the biggest fear for a lot of marginalized groups, especially when we're talking about the queer population, we're talking about the trans population, their fear is that them just being themselves is going to get them killed. Mm-hmm. And so they don't necessarily, that's a, that's a conversation of privilege to be able to say, like, get comfortable with your death anxiety, right? Because that's not necessarily the case for a lot of people because they don't even feel safe where they live. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I live in, you know, next to Portland, Oregon, which you would think is one of the most progressive cities in the world, but a trans black woman was murdered just recently in the last few weeks. And so until we're in a space where we are fully stepping in to advocate for people who don't have that opportunity to feel completely safe in all spaces, you know, the work is never done. You know, it's, it's something that we all have to recognize that we all have to stand up for, that we all have to be able to educate ourselves and know what's going on in the world. So I guess it's the thing is like people always say, like, I don't want to get involved in politics. It's not politics. It's human rights. Like, yeah this is a person's life. This is them fighting for their life. And statistically, people that are in marginalized groups are going to have higher cases of anxiety, of depression, of stress-related disorders and symptoms. And so it's really, that's why my advocacy work goes into so many different realms because I, I just want people to be happy and I want them to live a fulfilled life. And I want them to exit the physical plane feeling like they were able to really live the life that they, they came into this time to live. So it's, um, it's a conversations that like a lot of people have been having online more recently, but I would like to see people fuse it into everything that they do. Yeah, definitely. 
ongoing work forever, right? It is a marathon. It is not a sprint. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, that this, this, like the death angle is probably something that a lot of people haven't, haven't thought about as much. And I think just the more we continue to educate all the things that we haven't fully been seeing, it's super important. Um, yeah. And I am really in like relation to the death piece what would be like a good starter book for people who are interested in diving more into this? Well, there's a couple different ways because it depends on really where you're at, right? Mm-hmm. If you've never experienced death in your life and you are really creeped out by a lot of things, um, there is a great book by Caitlin Dowdy and it's called Will My Cat Eat My Eyeballs? And it's just really cute and funny and so Caitlin Dowdy is like a world famous mortician and she is really great at death normalization. She has an amazing YouTube channel and she also is a part of the order of the good death. So she's one of the founding members and uh, it's a great book. It's kind of a starter, it's definitely a starter intro book. Um, but the, the next one, the one that just made me feel so transfixed and so seen was from here to eternity and it was traveling the world in search of the good death and it's another book by Caitlin Dowdy but that one was just so to me was so profound as a world traveler and someone who loves to see death in other cultures that one was just a beautiful rendition of respecting culture and respecting you know indigenous uh, rites and, you know, sacred rituals and just how other cultures, you know, are in the, in light of death. And the funny thing is, is that America is so far behind in terms of how other people celebrate death. So yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty nuts. Like how we just are like the, we, we started off wrong is what I'm going to say. <laughs> yeah, no, it's true. Well, yeah. And that's, that's, I mean, I'm not, I'm not super educated on how all these other cultures celebrate death, but I mean, just, I think anyone, right. Thinking about what we do know. Um, it's just so weird how in America, I mean, it, it just, it's a totally different thing. I feel like in other cultures, it's like day of the dead, like that's a celebration. And then we turn it into Halloween, scary shit. And I'm like, <laughs> you know, that's just one example. Um, but you know, just shifting, shifting our viewpoint. I, yeah. Oh, sorry not oh, to cut you off. Oh, go ahead. Speaking of Halloween, it's so funny because that's Samhain, which is a, you know, a pagan holiday. It's a Sabbath. And it's actually the thinning of the veil to be able to commune with spirit. And so American culture is just totally bastardized an actual like sacred Sabbath. And as, you know, made people think it's like demons and, you know, zombies. And it's actually supposed to be a really beautiful day. So. There we go. It's good, for the, it's good for the candy industry though, right? <laughs> Saving us all. Um, and so the other question I had was, so with a death doula, is that someone that you hire like, just, and you, you like hire them ahead of time or like when does somebody start to work with a death doula? There are a lot of different points of entry. Um, there could be like a resident death doula that works in hospice care that's appointed to different patients, you know, at different times. Mm -hmm. Um, You could hire a death doula if you, that's like a contract worker, if you know, like I've been given an expiration date, right? Like I have X amount of time. 
And I want to make sure this person helps me. It's just like a birth doula. So, you know, they get your affairs in order and make sure everyone is communicated with properly and that, you know, all of your plans are executed and also helps you through anxiety and all of the different things. Um, And then it could be, you know, very ahead of time you know, like, you know, who knows, but I want to make sure we're still in contact. And, you know, I could die in 30 years, but at least I'm thinking about it now. And, you know, it's someone um, who you could just kind of start the conversation with. So it can be someone who helps you to, you know, fill out the necessary paperwork. And, you know, because a lot of people, um, if like a lot of people don't even know what a DNR is, you know? And so people don't even know, sorry, I don't mean to laugh. I'm just, sometimes I'm so deep in it that I think things are so trivial, but um, people don't know, like don't even have execution rules in terms of like what's going to happen to them if they're admitted to a hospital. Do you want to stay on life support? Do you not want to be resuscitated? You know, how, how do you want your death process to go if it is in case of emergency? And so that's why it can be really nice to meet with a death doula to be able to have a safe space to start these conversations and just really be able to be like, what do I do? How, where do I go from here? How do I, how do I start this conversation and and how can I prepare myself? Yeah. Yeah. And to your point, probably like, you know, the death doula will help you ask questions that you don't even know you have, right? Because yeah. a lot of people just, they, they don't even know the questions. Um, so what is, what does the rest of your training look like? It's actually, you know, it's not a very intensive training. So it's uh, really right now, I'm kind of in the process of trying to understand all angles of it before I want to commit to the fully like getting certified because I'm the type of person that if I'm not prepared, I'm not going to feel like I'm worthy of, you know, said thing. So I'm doing a lot of preparation work um, in realizing all of the different steps and all of the different processes. There is a manual that you do have to complete to understand everything. The psychology of it, knowing what it's like to actually be a personal care advocate, you know, what the hospice system looks like. And so it's really, if anybody could become a death doula, if they wanted to, for anyone who's listening that feels like, wow, this sounds really great. I'd love to be that. Or, or I kind of already have experience in that, or I've had a family member on hospice. I know what that situation looks like. It's, it's actually not a very difficult thing to achieve. Just like a birth doula, it's like a couple of weekends and some good reading. But the reality is, is you want to be educated. You want to be prepared. You want to make sure that there is no awkward conversation or scenario because you have to be that straight laced person. You know, you have to be that advocate. You have to be able to be that person that can handle someone in their worst moments. And I, I feel proud of myself that I, I have been able to achieve that in my life, that I can be that person that's there for other people when they're falling apart. But that's not, if you're like newly an empath and you feel like you can handle it, you may not be able to handle it because you're literally watching people come completely untethered mm-hmm. and have these moments of just like, you know, pure grief that you could carry with you if you don't know how to protect yourself. So I would say for people who are, you know, willing to kind of go into that space, just accept the fact that you're going to see people at their worst. Yeah. And I mean, I think what people don't think about is like the aftermath, right? Because it's not just about like the emotion and everything happening, right? As it's happening, it's everything after 
And, you know, that can get very intense and nasty too. And I mean, I've heard and experienced in my own family far too much bullshit happen and people trying to steal stuff. And like, I mean, it's a whole fucking thing. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, I, I mean, I very much respect (laughs) your, your, your ability to uh, train for this and prepare for this. And it's important. I think it's really important. And I'm glad you're like opening up this conversation. um, And I'm glad I'm learning about it from you. Like I didn't know death duels existed. I think this is so cool. Well, I'm, I'm so grateful to you to give me the opportunity to talk about it here because there are like podcasts that talk specifically about death, but that's not bleeding into other realms. Do you yeah. know what I mean? So like the fact that you were actually open to having this conversation today, like it doesn't surprise me because you're amazing and you're open to everything, but it gives me hope that maybe someone else who's a podcaster listening is going to be like, oh, maybe we should start having this conversation more, you know? Yeah. So, I am eternally grateful to you, Christina. Oh, no, of course. I'm so glad we had this conversation. I think like back to what you were saying before, like we think about wellness and it's just an incomplete conversation, right? And so for some people, they're still trying to get past the food and supplement and exercise thing and getting into the energy healing. But then you get into like more of the energy work, metaphysical stuff. And you're like, so many people talk about the spiritual side of wellness and like their food and supplements. And I'm like, but now really realizing, okay, we're not even talking about the death part. And that's how could, it's very incomplete um, and incomplete in so many other ways too, obviously. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, no toxic positivity here. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah. So um, incomplete in many ways, but I think it's, you know, eye opening for people to, to hear this side of it. So I'm really, I'm really grateful that you had this conversation and are able to teach us some more about it. Um, and before I let you go, I want you to tell people a little bit about Sacred Feminine Academy and your Wellness Academy. Yeah, absolutely. So they're totally different, um, <laughs> which I think is very on point for my personality. But your Wellness Academy is a group of 27 practitioners. They're all professional practitioners in so many different realms and facets that are giving affordable and accessible wellness information. So we currently have over 65 courses in the lifeline of of YOAS, I like to call it. Um, We'll probably have over a thousand courses in the next five years. And it's completely rooted in all of these realms of wellness that I'm talking about. So we'll talk about food access, food desert, you know, we'll talk about spirituality, uh, you know, everything. There's even like pain-free periods course on there. There's even like intro to nutrition. So it's basically every touch point you can possibly imagine. And it's rooted in diversity, visibility, and representation. So over 70% of the practitioners are women of color. And that's very important for their voice to be heard and to be able to come together to have that space to understand that like, it's just, well, this is not just for white privileged people. Like this is accessible to everyone. And so we're trying to just really spread that awareness. And so the first month is always free and you can enter your wellness in all caps at checkout and get that free month. And then after that, it's only $9 a month. We want it to be as accessible as possible. And so that's super fun passion project for me. And um, then Sacred Feminine Academy is more of a place that I wish I had growing up that talked about decolonizing your mind, dismantling patriarchy, stepping into your power, 
seeing all the different ways you're blocking yourself, getting deeper in your spirituality. It's just like ultra intersectional feminism, but on a very like soul connective level. And um, I only have one rendition of coursework right now because it's really intense. So it's a purpose driven um, well preneur. So that's kind of just like it's it's silly, but it's just women in the wellness industry that are kind of looking to understand how not to do wellness, if that makes sense. Like make sure that you are decolonizing your practice and make sure that we are understanding that we are advocates and we're coming from a place of service and how to really learn about boundaries and respect themselves and all these different things. And then eventually there will be a pretty significant coursework that's going to go into the depths of what it is to be a part of the sacred feminine. So. Mm. Love it. Such important work. Thank you so much. And I'm sure people are going to be really interested in those. And I just love what you're doing. And especially like, I mean, both of those are so needed. And with your Wellness Academy, it's just, it's genius. And I'm really grateful that you're doing that. So thank you. Thank you so much. Um, And just remind people where they can connect further with you because I know they will want to. Yeah, absolutely. So you can find me on Instagram, which is really easy. And that's at Danielle with one L. Uh, I'm French. So it's at Danielle N. Della Valley. And so you can follow me there. But just trigger warning. (laughs) I talk about a lot of triggering things. So just, you know, I invite you to observe and partake. And you can always ask questions. Um, or you can just go to daniellevalley.com and just find all of the things that I've done. I was like, I'm just going to put it all in one place. So it's easier for people to find. So Love it. Perfect. All that will be in the show notes. So thank you again so much. I really appreciate your time and I love chatting with you as always. Oh, yeah, it was amazing, Christina. I'm just like giving you the biggest virtual hug right now. Just thank you so much for the space. And I just adore you. You're amazing. Love you. You're the best. huge thank you to Danielle for coming on the podcast. I hope you enjoyed that one as much as I did. You can find more from her at daniellelavalley.com on Instagram at daniellelavalley and on her podcast, the Bulba Magic Podcast. Don't forget if you want exclusive behind the scenes access to content related to this podcast and my life, make sure you join the private Instagram page, Wellness Realness Crew. All you have to do to gain access to that page is request to follow and DM a screenshot of your iTunes rating and review to that account, Wellness Realness Crew. And when I get the DM of the screenshot of your iTunes rating interview, I will accept your request to follow and you'll have access. And don't forget, you can connect with other podcast listeners in our free Facebook group, Wellness Realness Podcast Tribe. That's going to be it for today's show. I hope you have an amazing rest of your day and I will chat with you again next episode. Thank you.